looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Alfred, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week. And this week, I can tell you brought something extra. That's right, you did. And why wouldn't you? It's episode 50. Holy 50 episodes, Batman, of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. How do I know? I'm your host, Jeff Dewaskin. I keep track of these things. It's my job. It's what I do. And for episode 50, we pulled out all the stops. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We've got an amazing guest for you today, Burt Ward. That's right, Burt Ward. Robin from the 1960s classic TV series, Batman. He's here. We're talking tons of Batman stuff. But you know what else is amazing? Burt runs with his wife, the biggest giant breed dog rescue in the world. Burt Ward has saved over 15,000 dogs. He's also developed a revolutionary dog food. It's incredible. Bert is a hero in more ways than one, and I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible story. You're going to love it. That's coming up in just a few minutes. So I'm so excited, everyone, about my 50th episode. I was up late last night, maybe had one or two minute lemonades, ordered a bunch of mugs with the Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show logo on them. My wife says I can't keep them all, so I'm going to give some away. That's right. It's another Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show giveaway to celebrate our 50th episode. It's going to kick off on April 20th. That's Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Go to at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter, and you'll see a tweet from my personal account that I'll retweet from there or go to my personal account at Big Macher, B-I-G-M-A-C-H-E-R. It's going to be a fun hashtag game. Just reply to the tweet that I do then go subscribe to my podcast. You'll see all the directions and all that good stuff. And you could be a winner of a live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show mug. I know. You're like, Jeff, I was just thinking about that. What would make my life complete while I was sipping from a horrible, horrible mug? And I was like, yeah, I know. Here I am swooping in. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. If you're not signed up for my mailing list, sign it up for that at jeffitsfunny.com. I'll also be shooting out a mailing list reminder as well. All that good stuff. So you can win. We're excited. 50, it, do you hear that noise? I thought I heard something. Anyway, so, anyway, so I'm really excited. So definitely check that out. Also, don't forget to check out every Wednesday, Crossing the Streams. That's my live show. Every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, live on YouTube. Just go to the YouTube and search The Jeff Dewaskin Show. Find my page and subscribe to my channel, and you'll be notified. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jeff is funny. Did you hear that? I, I keep hearing a noise. Anyway, um, so definitely check out the live show. It's great. We talk about all the TV shows you should be streaming, crossing the streams. Get it? Haha. <laughs> okay, so that's fun. All right. And now it's time for the social media tip. This is the part of the show where I share a social media tip to everyone to help us all get better on social media because that's what it's all about. 50 tips in. You must be super excellent at this point. But I got one for you today that's super special and in theme with the show and our guest, Burt Ward. And today's meta tip is be a hero. What do I mean by be a hero? Retweet or share someone's post that has them talking about something special that they did or tweet or post something really nice about someone you know and maybe something they accomplished. Be a hero. Make someone else feel good on social media. You know how good it feels when someone says something nice about you. Take a moment on the platform of your choice 
and spread that love to someone else. Do you guys hear that? There's something coming from behind that door. I apologize. It's Anyway, uh, and that's the social media tip. I do want to take a moment to thank everyone who supports the sponsors week after week after week. Can't thank you enough. It means the world to me. It's how we keep the lights on here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. This week's sponsor, KG Bird, makers of superior umbrellas. That's right. Do you need an umbrella? Well, KG Bird has the umbrella for you. Whether it be rain, knockout gas, acid, or simply to use your umbrella as a gun, KG Bird has the umbrella for you. That's right. Located conveniently in the center of Gotham City, KG Bird has been supplying quality umbrellas since the 1960s. You need an umbrella? You need KG Bird. All right. That sounds good. You know, it was raining the other day, and I'm like, ah, I left the umbrella in the car. (laughs) It was the worst. Oh, man. Ah, there's that noise again. I'm sorry. I got to check. Something's going on behind this door. Hang on a second. Surprise! A 50th party for me. I said don't throw a party. What's going on? There's so many people here. Hey, yo. Congratulations, Jeff. Uh, Really excited for you, man. Uh, Glad you're doing so well. From your old pal Sly, hope you got 50 more in the tank. Uh, Buddy. Oh, wow. Good to see you again. Oh, hey. Wow. Jeff, you've crushed it. You got 50 episodes. You're doing great stuff. So proud to know you. Way to go. You're a good guy. Thank you. Means the world. Oh, hey. Oh, my gosh. Jeff Dwoskin hit 50 episodes. This is so huge. Hi, Peter Griffin here, and I just wanted to say congratulations, Jeff. You're you're doing real good. Doing real good. Love your show. Big fan. Who knew 50 would be so grand? Oh, hey. Hey, your old pal Matt here. Just want to say congratulations. You're doing great stuff, Jeff. Super proud of you, man. Super excited to see you doing so well. Number five. Oh, congratulations, buddy. Got to have you on down in the house. Maybe play a little game, have some barbecue, take your shirts off, just cruise around for a little bit. But seriously, man, congratulations. All right, all right, all right. Oh, hey. Hey, everybody. You want to send out a really big shout out to Jeff Dwoskin for reaching 50 episodes? Yay! Hey, your old buddy Kermit here. Just want to say congratulations, Jeff, and hope you keep up the great work, buddy. Wow, this is all a little overwhelming, but we're going to come back to the party after the interview. I think now it's time to get things started, and I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Burt Ward. We'll see you in a little bit. Hey, save me an hors d'oeuvre. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to introduce you to my next guest, actor, Cape Crusader canine crusader ladies and gentlemen bert ward welcome to the show bert hello citizens hello <laughs> i'm trying to get over the fact that i'm i'm talking to you bert it's quite a thrill i grew up watching batman and robin thank you for being here well it just shows you have excellent taste jeff thank you so much there's two origin stories that i want to kind of cover with you one is the path to becoming the boy wonder and then the other one is the Gentle Giant's Rescue, and how you've saved over 15,000 dogs and created a food that's revolutionizing the dog food industry and saving and extending the lives of dogs. That real-life hero thing, I think, is, is fascinating. The more I dug into it, that's such an incredible story. What led you to the rescue? We rescued about, let's see, it's now... Uh... It's, it's like 26 years ago. My wife and I, when we had our daughter, we, we were living near the beach and we had a, a house that was like four stories high with these balconies that, you know, you would never want a child out on a balcony like that. So we decided, 
we're going to move inland. We decided to get a, a dog for our daughter to grow up with. And uh, I always liked Great Danes. My wife liked Irish wolfhounds. And we ended up rescuing a Great Dane. And we heard about other Great Danes that needed rescue. And we took another one. And then we figured, well, the ones that, that we didn't take, they're still in people's homes. And I'm sure they'll find them a place. You know, they weren't in shelters where they were in immediate danger. But later on, we found out that the ones that we didn't take were actually ended up going to shelters. People couldn't find anybody to rescue them and they were being put to death. And it was the first week in August of 1994 that I said to my wife, Tracy, these gentle giants, they're so loving. They're big, loving dogs. And it's a terrible injustice for them to be put to death only because they don't have a home. And the shelters are just overflowing with animals that are homeless. I said, why don't we just for a couple of weeks, just for a couple of weeks, so we find somebody else to take this over. Let's just rescue these great dames. I mean, how many can there be? Well, by the end of August of 1994, three weeks after I had made that marvelous comment to my wife, we had 102 great dames in our house, 102 giant dogs in our house, and 62 puppies under seven weeks of age. We had seven litters that we rescued from animal shelters, from people that didn't know how to bring up a litter. And oh my gosh, I told my wife, Tracy, just two weeks till we find somebody else. Well, it's been 26 years, Jeff, and I still haven't found somebody else to rescue these dogs or maybe even rescue me. In any event, we love these dogs, but we also found that they lived really short lives. And we adopted, I mean, over the years, 26 years, 15,500 of these dogs into safe, loving homes. But the ones that we didn't adopt, they tended to die at very young ages. Great Danes only live an average of seven to nine years. Again, we thought, what a terrible injustice. So we decided that because we had so many in our house, we've always had a minimum of 50 in our house, giant dogs, 50. And uh, those of your listeners that want that go to our website, gentlegiantsdogfood.com, the first thing you see on our homepage is a full screen video of my wife, Tracy, and I in bed with 50 of them. And of course, they can't all get on the bed. I mean, they're way too big, but they're all around the bed. Some are on the bed, some get off, some get on. Kind of fun, actually. It's pretty amazing. And all the dogs get along fantastically and stuff like that. So we found a way by feeding so many every single day, just to give you an idea, every day here, we feed 600 pounds of Gentle Giants dog food here a day. First, we found a way to, by feeding care for them, we could add about three years to each dog's life. We found by feeding five or more times a day, smaller, more frequent meals, elevating their food, all of which your listeners could, if they go to GentleGiantsDogFood.com, they can go to our special feeding and care program and they can learn what took us 26 years to learn. They can read and learn in less than 25 minutes. Then we said, you know, we've got these dogs living an extra three years longer, which even by itself is pretty spectacular. You know, a dog that lives seven to nine years, now you've got living on average 10 to 12. But we decided, what if we made our food and because we could afford it, let's make the finest food in the world just for our rescue dogs, you know? Because, you know, maybe we can pull out another year or two. Well, when we went to make the food, we found out something that was so upsetting to us, Jeff. And what we found out was that all dog food companies know something the average person doesn't know, which is the more fat content you put in dog food, the hungrier it makes dogs. So dog food is filled with fat on the inside. And after it's made, sprayed with fat on the outside. 
all with one purpose, make dogs hungry, make them eat more, and you have to buy more dog food. We believe that's incredibly horrible, very upsetting. That is very upsetting. You know, if you think about it, one of the reasons our dogs are living up to 27 and a half years. I mean, one of our dogs actually four times her normal lifespan, but most of our dogs are living twice their normal lifespan. People say, how can you do that? Is, is this some kind of magic? No, it's not magic. But think of it this way. Just one thing alone. We don't coat our dog food with all this grease on the outside. People say, well, how could that be so bad? It was animal fat. And I said, well, think of it this way. Would you ever take a can of bacon fat after you cook bacon and pour it down your garbage disposal at home? Uh-uh, you would never do that because you know that unlike water that evaporates, animal fat coagulates. And when it hardens, it's like cement. So if you took a can of bacon fat and poured it down your garbage disposal and let it sit there for an hour or two, you'd end up buying a new garbage disposal. So my point is, when you realize that animal fat will ruin a metal garbage disposal, what do you think is happening to the arteries and intestines of dogs and cats and other animals when every single day, every single meal, every single bite, every single kibble is encapsulated in animal fat? That's one thing. And the other thing is dog food as genetically modified organisms in dog food. We're maybe the only company that uses non-GMO ingredients in our dog food. And on our website at this same gentlegiantsdogfood.com, there's a section of non-GMO dog food. And we have a video up that we didn't do, but all these veterinarians from all across the USA, we got a whole bunch of them got together. And when they were interviewed, all said roughly the same thing, which is 10, 15 years ago, they would see one or two patients a month that had cancer of pets dogs and cats. Now they're seeing one out of every two dogs or cats as cancer. 50% of every animal they see has cancer. And they attribute that to the genetically modified organisms in food. Like for example, grain, whether it be corn or wheat or soy, or even nutritious grains, oatmeal, flaxseed, brown rice, they're filled with genetically modified organisms. And why do they do that? Because pests will ruin the crops. So when they modify the plant to not die when you spray pesticides on it, the plant lives. But guess what? Those pesticides are still inside that plant. You feed them to your animals and dogs are dying. The average life of a dog is only seven years. Little dogs, maybe two or three years more. Now the average. But we've got dogs consistently living into their 20s. So anyway, we made the food for our, our rescue dog. We never thought of selling it until the people that started adopting from us, they would come and see an 18-year-old Great Dane, which is like twice their normal lifespan. They'd say, what are you feeding that dog? Oh, well, that's just a food we made. And they'd adopt the dog and they would leave. And they'd say, well, what am I going to feed my dog? Well, you can feed your dog whatever you want. They said, no, no, no. We're not going to adopt this dog unless we get that same food that you've got. Said, oh my gosh. Well, we had it specially made. It's in plain white bags. We're not selling it. And then we had to go through that whole thing of label laws and all that stuff. And that's how it all came about. And one of our adopters was a store manager of a chain of grocery stores, and they wanted our food. One thing left to another. So here we are 15 years later, where we're all over the country. We're in Walmart. We're in Target. We don't take a dollar in salary. It's our charity. But dogs are living all over the place incredibly long. And I just got an email from a man who said he's been feeding his shepherd our food for 15 years and his shepherd just died, but his shepherd 
was 23 years old for a German shepherd. Unheard of. So we know this works and it's our charity. Now we have our cat food using the same ingredients with some additional things for cats. And last year we lost two of our cats. One was 31 years old. The other was 32 years old. Unheard of. Nobody has ever done anything like that. And it's our charity. So that's what we do. And we love animals. And actually we've created another company called Superheroes to the Rescue. And what we're doing is trying to encourage everyone no matter where you are, what you do, to try to make a little bit of a contribution to make a better world for all of us. Even if it means taking a blanket to an animal shelter so a dog can be more comfortable, or doing whatever you can to make life a little better for the rest of us. So that's what our focus is, 100% charity. Bert, that's incredible. And I, I have a couple uh, follow-up questions. One, I did watch the video on your website, and the first thought I had was, is that a standard king, or did you have a specially large size bed made? <laughs> It is, it's a regular King mattress, but the bed is a little bit larger. And the thing was, is the support. A couple of our dogs are right at 300 pounds. You know, most people have never seen a 200 pound dog. Almost no one has ever seen a, a dog that's right at 300 pounds. One of our dogs, Sammy, is a great Dane that when he stands up on two legs, you know, he stands up like a person. He stands seven feet, five and a half inches tall, which is four inches taller than Shaquille O'Neal, to give you an idea perspective, four inches taller than Shaquille. He weighs 285 pounds. Another dog of ours, Avalanche, we believe was the largest dog in the world. He weighed 305 pounds. He also stood seven and a half feet tall, but when he was on all four legs, just like a typical dog you see walking, the lowest part of his back was 45 and a half inches tall, which to give you an idea, is five and a half inches taller than your kitchen counter. Kitchen counters are 40 inches tall. He's the lowest part of his back. And he would come over to our kitchen sink and to the and we'd turn on the faucet and he would lean way down to drink from the faucet. Bird, to put you into my head for a second, I have a Maltese. A Maltese is probably the equivalent of the size of, and, and I'm sure you know this, the head of any one of your dogs. Half the size of the head of one of our dogs. But dog. you know, how much is your Maltese weight? Probably four pounds or less. Okay. Well, guess what? We have not just Great Danes and large breeds. We also rescue tiny breeds. The smallest breed we have here is a Chinese Crested. Are you familiar with Chinese Cresteds? As adults, they weigh two pounds. So we go from two pounds to 300 pounds. We have 45 different breeds here. Here's the interesting thing. Our food is for all breeds at all life stages. We start puppies. When we rescue puppies, we get them at three and a half weeks. We start our, on them, our food. And the same food we feed to three and a half week old puppies, we feed to 25, 26, and 27-year-old seniors. We had a rescue before the Maltese. It was English Springer Spaniel Collie mix. And we had him for 16 years. He was 16 when he died. That's great. I know, right? He's been on our food. You could add another 10 years. I wish I had known about your food at the time. He, you know, he got to the point where he really couldn't, he couldn't move anymore. And well, now that's interesting that you brought that up. Let me tell you something about dogs. Because of living with 15,500 dogs over the last 26 years, 24-7, I mean, this is a level of experience I don't think anyone in the world that I'm aware of has, has experienced. And they're living in our house. They're not in some building or some yard or whatever. 
this is hands on. They're here. They're here right next to me now. But in any event, here's what we found out. Dogs' bodies wear out much faster than human bodies. And one of the things that people say to me, and they'll say, you know, I watch your videos. I see dogs running around like puppies in their mid-20s. How is it that your dog can run around like puppies in their mid-20s and my dog can barely get up? And here's what the answer is. Actually, it ties into Batman. If you remember on our series, every week we had different villains and we all, there was always these hourglasses where you turn it over and like the sands of time are running out. Well, I explained to people, think of their dog's life energy, that energy to get up, to walk, to run, to play, to function like the sand coming out of that hourglass. When it comes all the way out, it's over for our dogs as well as anybody else's dogs. But here's the difference. We found a way to slow it down. We found a way to conserve that energy. So when other people's dogs can't get up anymore and they think it's very unjust that their dog can't barely walk and our dogs are running around at twice their age. And the answer is conservation of energy. And as two examples, one example is, you know, if you watch television, you see these commercials for these dog food companies They don't know anything about dogs. They'll have a Great Dane or some big dog come over and lean down on the floor to eat out of a bowl or drink out of the bowl on the floor. Well, let me tell you something. We elevate the dog's food and water bowls and every dog has a specific height just for that dog that's proper. You want to have a height of water and food that the dog never leans down, never leans up, just tilts their head down. And you say, well, why is that so important? Well, think about it. If you put the food and water on the floor every day, your dog lean down to get food, up and down to get water, up and down and up and down, they're prematurely wearing their bodies out. And if you, when you start to think of that every single day, look how much energy is wasted. Second thing is, for example, with your dogs, Jeff, how many times a day do you feed your dogs? We feed our Maltese Three times a day, and the, the last time is at five, but it's like a two scoops instead of one. Uh-huh. Well, here's the problem. That shortens their lives. Did you know that? Don't say that on this, and my wife hears. <laughs> well, no, I'm just telling you the truth. Let me explain to you why. It's all science, all right? Think of it this way. I like to use human terms. I'm sure in your life, you've gone out, maybe you went to a buffet or somebody's house and the food was so great and maybe you overate. And I'm sure in your life, at least once you came home and literally had to lie down to digest your food. Hasn't that happened to you in your life? I cannot relate to that on any level, Bert. I don't know what you're talking about, but let's assume, (laughs) let's assume the audience does and continue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get you. Well, here's the point. When that happens with humans, their body is basically saying, I'm shutting down to do anything else other than digest this food. There's just too much food. There's no energy to spare for other activity other than digesting this food. When you feed a dog only once, twice, or three times a day, you are making that dog's body go through that massive digestive effort every single day, and it's prematurely wearing their bodies out. The way we have dogs running around like puppies in their 20s is we feed our dogs a minimum of five or more times a day, smaller, more frequent meals. Okay, that's one thing. Secondly, think about it. Whatever day of the week it is today, when you got up this morning, were you exactly as hungry this morning as you were yesterday morning? Maybe, maybe not. The point of it is when people use a specific, like you use number of cups, when you use that specific number, maybe on a Monday, that's fine. But maybe on a Tuesday, your dog might want more. And if they only have that amount and they've eaten all that food and they're still hungry, that's stressful. You've heard the term stress kills. So these functions, we teach our dogs to self-regulate. 
We let them out and they go out of our house all day, in and out all day long. They, they are exposed to food at least five or 10 or 15 times a day. And sometimes they eat something, sometimes they eat nothing. One bite, 20 bites, it's all different. But there's a psychological thing when the dog realizes that they never have to worry about food. They don't have to be like the squirrel gathering nuts for the winter. So this is all part of the system we've developed. And our dogs self-regulate. We use these huge tool chests. Have you ever seen them on the back of pickup trucks? People put their tools in them. You press the button, the top pops up. Well, each one of these is up on concrete blocks because they're elevated. And each one holds 200 pounds of our food. And when you get an idea how big our operation is here, we have 27 of those that are filled with 200 pounds of food a day. And our dogs are eating from them. They never overeat. They never gain too much weight. They only eat what they need. This is all part of our system that these animals are living so incredibly long. And by the way, we have no illness here, Jeff. Zero illness. Our dogs are so healthy. They only go to a veterinarian every three years for a $10 rabies update. That's incredible. It's interesting because the living longer thing, when you're newly married and you get your first dog, meaning it isn't under the ownership of your parents, it's your dog. The one thing that nobody prepares you for is that dog passing away and dying. Oh, and, yeah. and the majority of the time, from what I can see, dogs generally don't just die. Right? I mean, you don't just come downstairs and your dog, I mean, usually you have to put the dog down for some reason. It's like the hardest thing in the world. And like when to like, so the idea that you created this product that can not only make them healthier, but live longer, just, I picture the look at my daughter's eyes when our, our dog Samson got sick and, and all that kind of stuff to know that you, that could have been avoided or prolonged in a positive way. It's an amazing thing that you've done. Let me mention that to you. Now that you brought up your daughter, Tracy and I, we have a daughter, her name is Melody. When Melody was a year and a half old, we got her a six month old American Eskimo. It's a small breed dog, weighs about 25 pounds as an adult. She's had that dog over 20 years. And when you think about it, what a great thing. People like to get pets for their children. But the sad thing is, is that most of these dogs are only living seven to 10 years. You've got like yours lived to 16, that one dog, but on average, they're living seven to 10 years. And here you've got a child that's got a, their best friend as their pet. And when that dog's die, you're having to explain death to a child and you shouldn't have to do it. Our daughter has had that same dog for more than 20 years. And what a wonderful thing for a kid to grow up and have that same friend. They might not have human friends that long, but they have their canine pet loving them for all those years. So that makes a big difference if you're a family person too. Absolutely. And, you know, just, it was interesting how the, the note that you made earlier about the dogs eating and eating and eating. Cause growing up when I was five or something like that, we had a dog that, a schnauzer that got into the dog food and ate himself to death. He got in, he ate all, he just kept eating. He didn't stop eating. It is so insidious, okay, Jeff, because it actually affects their brain to believe they're hungry. And for an animal to be hungry, they, the instinct is to eat, to saturate the that hunger, to cure that pain of hunger when you make them hungry like that. And then, and then the other thing is, you know, I tell people, I said, with dog food companies, they would love to have it where everything your dog ate came out the other end. So they'd have to keep eating and eating for nutrition. We're just the opposite. We want your dog to eat less of our food and get more nutrition. People say, well, why would you want them to eat less? Because less digestion, yes, less burning up of energy, more conservation of energy, 
So years later, they're still running around like a puppy. It's an amazing story, Bert, how you know you went from playing a hero to becoming one for all these animals. It's it's really, really cool. And again, for everyone, it's a Gentle Giants Rescue. And I'll put the URL, and I know Bert's mentioned it already, but I'll put it all in the show notes so anyone has a quick link to it so they can check that out and, and purchase that. I think it's online, and then it's pretty much every Target, Walmart. Echo every everywhere you can get it. Jeff, I like to say that I was the Cape Crusader and now I'm the Canine Crusader and most recently become the Cat Crusader. You should get Julie Newmar to help you with the cat food. There you go. <laughs> I think she would be perfect for that. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about uh, your other origin story. So TV's changed forever. January 12th, 1966, 7.30 p.m. You debut as Robin with Adam West, Batman and Robin. Let's go backwards now. What was the process of becoming Dick Grayson, getting the role of the Boy Wonder, Robin? Kind of a unique process, I think, in this case. I wanted to be an actor. I was studying acting at UCLA, where I was going to college. I was also studying professionally. I was uh, very fortunate. I worked for my father. I was living in Beverly Hills and my father was a prominent real estate broker. And on weekends, I would sit on these open houses. People would come in to look at the house and possibly buy a house. And my father had a, had 65 houses that he was uh, representing uh, someone who had the, had ownership of those. And so I was like sit on one house for a couple hours and I'd go to another one. And one of the people that came in to look at the house was a prominent producer. He was very nice and, and I was very nice to him. And I asked him, I said, you know, I realize you're looking at a house, but I would really appreciate if you could just spend five minutes and let me do a scene for you. And he said, yes. And I did it. And he said, you know, that's pretty good. He said, let me send you to an agent and see if they can help you out, get some work. So he sent me to this agent and I went to see this agent who was uh, it was not exactly encouraging. His first comment was, I can't get work for the actors I've got. I would never take a new actor. And it's only because this producer asked me to take you as an actor. Don't expect to work for a year. And if you get a job, you might have one line. You know, now that's not terribly encouraging, right, Jeff? Not at all. I, I left there a little dejected, but I, I went home and believe it or not, about three weeks later, somebody from this, this agent's office called me and said, there's something going over it. 20th Century Fox. Uh, we got an appointment for you tomorrow at 4.30. You can drive over there and then uh, they'll let you park on the lot and they'll direct you to you know where you have to go for this interview. And I said, well, what's it about? And they said, you know, I don't know, honestly. We just know that there's something where they're looking at young guys. I mean, so there was no no advance of that. So I go over the next day and they let me on the lot and I they say, oh, you've got to go to this bungalow. And I went over there and I was introduced to the casting director and he said, would you like to meet the executive producer? I said, sure. I figured, you know, everybody got to meet the executive producer. Well, that's not true, but I didn't know that. So I went in to meet the executive producer and you have to understand so many of these actors have been so rejected and so just like their feelings hurt so many times. They're like wounded animals going in for an interview. You know what I mean? You're just going to cut them down. Because remember, their product is themselves. It's not something that they make that they can say, well, the heck with that. It's you. You're an actor. Because I hadn't been rejected before. I just went in. I said, you know, hello, Mr. Dozier. And I shook his hand a little aggressively. And he was completely taken aback. He's like, who is this guy that's just so bold? And he said to me, looked at me, says, well, you're kind of big for this part. I said, 
oh, but sir, I promise you, I won't grow anymore. And it's like, how can you promise somebody you that? And he laughed. He thought that was funny. He said, well, would you like to do a screen test? I said, sure. I figured everybody that met the executive producer got to do a screen test. Well, that wasn't true either, but I didn't know. So it was arranged and I went to 20th Century Fox a couple of weeks later and I did some some martial arts. I had been studying uh, karate and uh, karate came to the United States in 1959 and in the early 60s, I was studying in Los Angeles. There was a very famous teacher, Ed Parker. So I did some stuff. I broke a board with my hand, which at that time, nobody had ever seen anything like that. I was given a scene to do in civilian clothes. And they said, we have another actor to work with you. And they introduced me to Adam West. They said, you know, why don't you guys go over your lines and then uh, we'll shoot in about 15 minutes. I was handed a sheet of paper and just a single sheet of paper. And it had paragraphs on it. Top of one paragraph, it said Bruce. It didn't say Bruce Wayne, didn't say anything about that. It just said Bruce with dialogue. And then the next below it, it said Dick with dialogue. Bruce Dick, Bruce Dick. I started talking to Adam West. And in five minutes, the two of us were laughing. We never stopped laughing for over 50 years. We just got along so well. We're like instant friends. I mean, there's not a lot of people in life, but you know, some people you meet and it's just whatever it is they say makes you laugh and whatever you say makes them laugh. And we just got along great. So then we did this scene together and they filmed it. And I said, well, thank you very much. And I started to leave. And they said, well, no, wait a minute, Bert, we're, we're not done with you yet. We want you to go over to the other side of the soundstage. See way down there, over there, they, we've got a trailer with two wardrobe men there who are going to help you get dressed. And I stopped for a second. I said, well, with no disrespect, I'm perfectly capable of dressing myself. Oh, no, no, no. You don't know. You just go over there. I, I walked way over the end of this building. I mean, it's like walking a mile, it seems like. A huge soundstage. I get over there. And sure enough, they've got a dressing room. And I walk in. And it's just like a giant, I don't know, couch that's like 15 feet long or something. And all this stuff on the couch. And I said, am I going to put some of that on? They said, no, you're going to put all of it on. I said, what? And so these guys helped me get dressed, the most uncomfortable thing in my entire life. And I've always been an optimistic person, Jeff. I always try to find the good in things, right? Here I am. I can't see out of the mask except straight ahead because the way the mask is, the mask is like irritating my eyelashes. The tights are pulling the hair on my leg. The boots are too tight. The cape is pulling my head. I mean, everything was going wrong. But I tried to find something positive about it. So as I'm hobbling towards the door of this trailer, I turned to these two wardrobe guys and said, look, the good news here is that after another 15 or 20 minutes, I'll never have to wear this costume again. <laughs> Famous last words. And then, of course, I went to do the scene and there is Adam. But you see, I never read a Batman comic book. I never heard of Batman. Where I lived, they had Superman comic books and Superboy not Batman. So I looked at him in this outfit. I'm looking at me at this. I'm trying to say, what is this? Is, is this some kind of Shakespearean period piece or something? I had no idea. And it wasn't until weeks later, like six weeks later, that I found out all about it. And that's at the time that I was called in by the agents. They said, oh, come on in. We're going to have you sign contracts. I said, great. Now I'm going to be formally represented, have my own agent. And I looked down at the contracts and said, 20th Century Fox. I said, well, what's this? I, th I thought I'm signing agency. God, oh, no, no, you got the part. You're signing. And they said, you mean the studio didn't tell you? I said, no. Two weeks later, I was in at the studio and the studio said, you mean your agents didn't tell you? So of the six weeks that I was rotting, waiting to find out if I got the part, 
four of the six weeks, I'd already had the part. I couldn't understand why the studio is asking me, calling me and saying, what's your shoe size? What's your hat size? Well, I don't wear a hat. Well, go get your head measured. These things that I knew nothing about. And that's what really happened. And then to top it off, when I finally went to do a, some test stuff, the executive producer came in and said to me, Bert, would you like to know why out of 1,100 young actors that we interviewed that we picked you? I said, yes, sir. I, I really, I would like to know very much. He said, okay, here's the answer. Forgetting television, forget it for a minute. If there really was a rock, I, I mean, the real thing, we think you personally would be it. So we don't want you to, quote, act. We actually want you to just do two things. One, be yourself. And two, be enthusiastic. Well, I'm already enthusiastic. So this is just be yourself. And that's what I did for 120 episodes. And not once in those 120 episodes with all these different directors working 14 hours a day, six days a week to make each one of the 120 episodes, did any director ever tell me how to say a line. They didn't tell Adam either. The chemistry of the two of us working together, just it worked. The way he would say his lines would cause me to react naturally in the way I did. And that's how it worked. It's amazing when you think back on the chemistry and the picking of just the right actors, because famously, when they show the screen test of you and Adam West, they always play it, you know, like in YouTube clips, they play it back to back with Lyle Wagner and Peter RJ Dial. Yeah. What do you think Peter's doing right now, Bert? <laughs> I, I have no idea. He's a really nice guy. I just had fun with it. I mean, Lyle Wagner, great actor, but Adam has a sense of humor that carried across. It was so Batman. His style, his stoic kind of very grand, and the more stoic and stiff he was, the more relaxed and wild and loud I was, and just hyper. If you look at the great comic duos in history, They've always had great contrast. I mean, think of it like Abbott and Costello, even in modern times with Johnny Carson and McMahon, you know, Laurel and Hardy, always great contrast. So there was this tremendous contrast between Adam, who was very slow and very grand. And here the kid, me is Robin, and it worked. And I'd like to mention a scene I did that kind of typifies how I approach the character. I just basically did what I thought was right. So let's take a scene we had in the very beginning show with Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. And this particular scene, Batman and Robin drive up outside this museum. And we're going to climb up the side of the building because we believe that the museum is going to be robbed by the Riddler. And we climb up the side of the building. But well, before we do that, we pull up and we come to a screeching halt. You know, of course, Batman has to be stylized with a, you know, racing into things. But instead of getting out of the door, like most people would, I would usually jump over the door. But in this particular scene, I decided when we stopped, because it was behind us where we were going, I stood up on the door and walked in the tail fin to the back of the Batmobile and then jumped off. Well, when I did that, the director said, cut, cut. And the camera was saying, you didn't tell us you were going to do that. We had you coming out the door. We've got to lay track down. We've got to have a dolly. We got to follow you along. You know, you know, all of this stuff. I did what I thought was right. But let me tell you something, which was really interesting. What I did naturally, thinking what was right to do, you know, just kind of instinctively, 
it worked. And I found out something very interesting. A year ago, I got my star in Hollywood Boulevard on January 9th, 2020. Congratulations. I threw a party afterwards around the corner from where I got my star. In fact, the star of both Adam and I is right in front of the Guinness Museum of World Records. And right around the corner is the Hollywood Museum. And we threw a party there. Coming to the party was Robert Butler, who was the director of the first Batman episode, the pilot. This is the man that I worked with first. I hadn't seen him in 55 years. Hadn't talked to him, hadn't seen him. Wow. He told me a story, Jeff, that I want to tell you that I didn't know. And I found out 55 years later. And here's what the story was. He said that when he was hired to do the pilot and with the pilot, you know, it's the, the first show they wanted to be extra spectacular. So instead of six days to make it, they gave him three weeks to make it, right? Really wanted to be special. He said that when he was hired, that he was meeting with the executive producer, William Dozier, who said to him, we hired this young kid to play Rob. He seems great for the part, but we don't know how well he's going to work as being an actor. So what we'd like you to do is like you to go talk to him and see in talking to him, if you feel that he, you can work with him and if he can do this part. And he's telling me the story. Here it is 55 years ago that I never knew this story. I said, I do remember you coming over to me and saying that, could I talk to you for a few minutes? And he said that after he talked to me, he went back to the executive booth and says, well, what did you think about you directing this kid, Burt Ward, as Robin? He said, let me tell you something. And he said this to me. He said, when I saw his talent, he says, as a good director, I stay the heck out of the way and let somebody who really could do it perfectly do it without messing with it. I mean, it was a real compliment to hear something 55 years later that you didn't know. And it was great. And of course, you know, our show became number one and number two in the entire world. Our first show on that January 12th, 1966 had a 55 share. And what that means for your listening audience is that of all the televisions on in North America, which included not just the United States, but also Canada and Mexico, okay, of those countries, 55% of every single television was watching Batman and all the other, the two other, you know, US networks and all the regional stations, all the local stations were all sharing that other 45%. And if you were to compare that, now they didn't have Super Bowl then, okay? But if you were to compare that to, to the ratings of Super Bowl, our opening night was higher than any Super Bowl in history. That was how many people were watching Batman. I also read it was the highest since the Beatles had been on Ed Sullivan. Oh, yeah. It was some it was amazing. You know, Adam was like, I loved Adam, he, he, but he was so funny. He said, you know, Bert, there's really the three Bs. I said, the three Bs? Yes. Bond, Beatles, and Batman. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, oh, my gosh. You know, what made him so hilarious to me is that he saw everything in such grand ways, such gigantic ways, thought of himself like Winston Churchill or somebody, you know, that everything was so deep and so profound. And I'm like this kid, you know, this like, come on, let's go, let's go this. Wait a minute, Robin. And one of the great things that tells the humor of our show, we were chasing these villains, right, in the city, running across the street. And Batman says, we can't do that. We have to go through the crosswalk. 
it's illegal to <laughs> walk across the street without going through the crosswalk. Oh, you're right. So, of course, we had to slow down chasing them because we had to go across the crosswalk to chase down these villains going the other direction. It's so funny. It's so, I mean, that was part of the, the charm of the show. Okay, since you're full into the mode of the show, I have a few important questions for you. You ready? Sure. Okay. When is the time of a clock like the whistle of a train? When it's two to two. Two, two, two. What has neither flesh, bone, nor nail, yet has four fingers and a thumb? A glove. Two, 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 Glover Avenue. You've done it again, chum. Let's just hope we're not too late. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it was so fun on Batman. And Adam, I just loved him so much. On the weekends, he and I would go play tennis sometimes. Yeah, you know, regular civilian clothes, playing. And people, they were public courts, so you'd have people in the court next door. You see them looking at us like, hmm, those people look familiar. And then all of a sudden, one of them would say, oh, my gosh, it's Batman and Robin playing tennis. And it was just it was such a fun time. And it's so funny that even years later, when Adam and I would meet people at these comic cons or other events and stuff, when people would meet a celebrity, it's like, oh, wow, you know, that's nice. That's you know, great meeting you. But when they'd be introduced to at Batman or Robin, it's like people would get this smile across their face and a twinkle in their eye. We used to say that we put on our tights to put on the world. In fact, we were the only superheroes that wore our underwear on the outside of our clothes. (laughs) Yes, you were, but you wore it so well. You wore it so well. 222 Glover Avenue. People are going to think I prepped you for that bit, but I did not. Oh, no. You you know, I had some real tongue twisters, though. Yeah. It was not just all the holies I did, but I had some tongue twisters. And remember, the character of Robin was highly energetic and spoke quickly. So it's not, you you get a tongue twister. Yes, if you kind of practice it and you don't say it too fast. But you have to do lines like I had to do at incredible speed and have these tongue twisters. I had a line where I said to Batman, gosh, Batman, haven't you some anti-ballistic bat flax in your utility belt? Let me tell you something, Jeff. I struggled with that for a half an hour before I got that line down. You made it look so easy, Bert. You made it look so easy. (laughs) Oh, man, this is fun. Let me ask you about all the amazing guest stars that you had on this show because it's it's like a who's who of everybody well let me first ask the walking up the building was that literally just kind of worked in just to fit in more cameos yes and no and the reason why it's yes or no is we did have scenes walking up a building but when so many stars wanted to be on our show i mean these are people that uh, you know it's funny when something is hot everybody wants to get in on it right when batman came out it was such a huge hit Every celebrity in Hollywood, it seemed like, especially ones that had children, okay? (laughs) Those kids were driving, you got to get on Batman. That's the coolest show. So the producers were like, what are we doing? We're bombarded by, you know, these are the greats in show business. So that's when they create said, okay, well, how about it if we have Batman and Rock going up a building and a window opens? And then a celebrity opens a window and has some dialogue. So the very first celebrity that did that was Sammy Davis Jr. And then you had so many great people on there. Colonel Clink and Lurch and Dick Clark and Don Ho and... Jerry Lewis. Yeah, Jerry Lewis. Santa Claus. Edward G. Robinson. Betty White. I mean, you had all these people that had been around and, and were very recognizable. Everybody wanted to be on Batman. And the actors that played the villains... They had a great time. Most of these great actors in the roles that they normally portrayed 
they were limited by the character. But here, when you're bigger than life villain, you can be as heinous as you could imagine. And of course, the the signs like, you know, villains hide out. (laughs) And, And of course, the camera was always tilted. Did you notice that? Yes. And you know why it was tilted? I didn't know that until until after production. I said, what's wrong? Were you guys drinking or what, what, what's the matter? The camera said, no, Bert. That was our way of participating. I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, the villains were crooked, so our camera angle was crooked. And I said, I never knew that. <laughs> and I was shooting the show every day. Subtle brilliance. Yeah, I was reading uh, Burgess Meredith, who was, he's just one of my favorite. And he would say, like, we didn't do it for the money. We did it because it was the thing to do was to be on the Batman show. Exactly. And so they just came back and did it over and over again. They loved it. And let me tell you, every time they did it, they had fun. And the shows were crazy. And the, my gosh, the all these contraptions and these things that Batman and Robin were in such trouble with, the special effects. They had so many effects. And the crew was more than twice the normal size. All these people trying to make these special effects work. One of the characters that popped out of the window when you were walking up the wall was Green Hornet and Kato, who later actually on the show. So it was 85 and 86. Right. The Green Hornet and Kato were actually characters on the show. Right. And you fought Kato? Yes. Talk to me about Bruce Lee for a second. And I, I mean, I know you split a brick and a board and then your audition and stuff. But people don't know is that I lived in the same complex of condos that Bruce Lee lived in. And he and I were friends and we sparred together. That's where you fight, but you pull the punches. So, and then actually we would go to dinner occasionally, his wife, Linda. And at that time, Brandon, his son was only six months of age. And we went down to Chinatown and had dinner because Bruce had lived in Hong Kong for 10 years and knew all the most authentic foods. But the same executive producer that was producing Batman produced the Green Hornet. And that's why the Green Hornet and Cato were interspersed into one of our shows to help them launch in the fall because they were going to be a fall TV series. A piece of trivia for your listeners is Bruce Lee, who became by far the most famous cinematic martial artist in history, right? His very first fight scene on film was fighting me on Batman. The Batman style was, you never wanted real violence. You never wanted any blood. You never, you know, people were really hurt. So on Batman, you know, and then the scene that we did, Batman is fighting and these guys would pick up a table and hit him over the head and maybe he'd fall down, but then bounce right up. It was bigger than life stunt fighting. There was that scene that Bruce and I fought and they purposely toned it down because the stuff that we did when we were sparring was much rougher and much more real, but they didn't want it to look that way. Everything had to be Batman style, campy style, so that it would be suitable for kids of all ages. Very cool. So I was reading an interesting story. I I saw a clip of Adam West talking about this. So Vincent Price was Egghead, episodes 47, 48. There was kind of a joke they played on you. Absolutely. What it was, it was the final fight scene where Egghead has got me like like a, a headlock and Batman comes in to rescue me. So the the way the scene starts is this. Batman comes in, he grabs me with the neck and Batman says, unhand him, and he breaks like two eggs over my head. Real eggs, by the way, not anything fake, the real thing. And then Adam, Batman has a line, and then he has a couple lines, and then he lets me go when Batman comes in to fight him, right? Well, their little joke on me was to purposely goof up their lines, and they goofed him up seven times. And each time, 
I had two eggs broken on my head. I had 14 eggs on my head before they got the scene right. And they thought it was funny, but I didn't think it was funny because believe it or not, first couple eggs doesn't bother your head. But if somebody breaks 14 eggs on your head, at some point it starts to hurt. I had eggs going down my back in my costume, all the way down into my shorts behind my cape and my, my, and my t-shirt. It, it was, oh, it was horrendous, that sticky egg, you know? And I was so upset by that. Okay. And, but I mean, I was angry, but at the same time, you know, not where you totally angry, but you're just like, you know, fed up that I was supposed to pick up a half a dozen eggs and throw them at Egghead. But I didn't do that. I picked up a dozen eggs and I came over. And if you look at that scene, I hit him so hard on his head that his egg moved off, <laughs> off counter there. It was a little bit at an angle. I moved his egg on his head and it was because I was like, oh man, all right, I'm going to get even. And and then the other thing we did on that same episode, that same scene, we had a, an egg fight where Egghead and his henchmen are on one side and Batman and Robin the other. And we're supposed to be throwing eggs at each other. And we were, but I used to be a pitcher. I purposely threw the eggs to hit the crew. Okay. <laughs> Instead of throwing... I mean, I would throw a couple of them at Egghead, but then I'd throw one and I hit the cameraman. And they, like, then they got all upset. They realized that I was doing it on purpose. And there was all these eggs on the set. And, and on off the set, extra eggs. I mean, just like thousands of, of eggs, right? And then they started throwing them at me and Adam. And, and it was just this gigantic egg fight that we had on the set. It was hilarious. Everybody got hit with eggs. There's nobody that didn't get hit with eggs. Getting hit by an egg is no yoke. It's uh, excellent. Hey, <laughs> you know, when I prep for conversations like this, I kind of, I dive in, you know, cause you got the memories and then you want to kind of just refresh some. So one of the things that I, I stumbled on was it was talking about the Liberace episodes, episodes 49 and 50. So these would have come, I think after the movie, uh, Liberace played Shandell, which isn't one of the villains that comes to mind immediately for me when I was, when I reflect on the show. But the reason I mentioned that is interestingly enough these were some of the highest rated episodes. These were the highest rated episodes of the series. So I thought I thought that was very interesting. Just the, the draw that Liberace must have. Did you know that that he had two names on there? It wasn't just Shondell. You know, the other character's name that he portrayed? Fingers. That was the character. Fingers. Fingers. Yes. F-I-N-G-E-R-S. And he, he tried to be as evil as possible, but it didn't come a lot, come off as frightening as it could have been. He he wasn't exactly yes. a frightening guy. No, no, no. He's he's not he does, he's not an evil villain when you, when you think of Liberace. Right. I did hear he brought his own pianos to the set. Oh yeah. Oh, and oh uh, man, could that man play? Ooh. Well, he was uh, he was unbelievable. Tremendous talent. You know, tremendous. Okay, so the show kicks off, and Riddler is your first villain, Frank Gorshin. He played the Riddler. For the majority of the show, however, after the first season, he left. Was it a money thing that he left about, or was there some kind of dispute? No, no, no. It was never money. No, it was not that at all. It was uh, again the pressure of having so many actors want to play roles. They actually asked him if he wouldn't mind, and John Aston wanted to play the the Riddler in one episode, and he went along with that. It was because everybody wanted to be a part of it. Everybody. I mean, you look, we had three cat women, Julie Newmar, Leanne Merriweather played in the Batman movie, and Eartha Kitt played in our series in the final season. Do you have a favorite or do you not like to go on record? Oh, no. I liked all everybody. You know, every, everyone was so nice and such a pleasure to work with. And, you know, 
they all brought their own creativity to the character. Every one of them did. And they were great. Uh, let me tell you, I the way I looked at it, I came in on a show as a young actor, really young. I was the youngest person on the set. And I was like a kid in the candy store. I mean, every one of these actors or actresses were somebody that I'd either seen on television or seen in the movies when I was growing up. So for me, I was like, oh, wow. You know, I'm working with all these people. It was fun. I had a great time. I heard that Frank Sinatra would visit the set or visited the set, but he, he never appeared on the show. No, he actually wanted to be the Joker. I don't know. I, I mean, it, yeah, I, I never saw him on the set. So, I mean, if he did, I just either I wasn't there at the time, but I knew that he wanted to be on the show. And but they'd already cast Cesar Romero as the Joker. So did any of you like um, with Cesar Romero kind of pull him aside and go, Cesar? Maybe just uh, shave the mustache. No, no, he didn't want to shave his mustache. And that, no, I know he didn't. I know he did. That was sort of man's style. See, see in other words, that, that campy style. No, and then the producers, uh, they said, fine. You know, it's it, Batman was so bigger than life that there was no limitation of what you had to do other than to be the baddest of the bad, the most evil. Everything was like kind of like almost symbolic. Right. Okay. That's cool. And then there were three Mr. Freezes. Yes. Otto Preminger. Oh, he was the most, everybody, when he came on the set, see, he had a reputation of destroying people when he was a director, destroying actors. I mean, he was just apparently, you know, the the word was that he was very rough on actors. So when he was going to be there, everybody was intimidated. (laughs) They didn't know, oh my God, this guy is known as a tyrant. And you know something, he was the nicest guy in the world. So I don't know. But it was a pleasure to work with him, you know. And George Saunders was another one. He was great as Mr. Freeze. It was work- great working with these people. We and we had some great Shakespearean actors there that were on our set as well. The interesting thing about Mr. Freeze, as I was kind of reading, is the character in the comic book was Mr. Zero. Yes. The TV show changed the name to Mr. Freeze. And then this being one of a few examples of this, the comics then changed the character to Mr. Right. Freeze. Yeah, there there were some adjustments. And, 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 you know, subsequent to our series, the original comic book, Robin looked a lot different than, than me. I mean, he had like curly hair, big curl in the forehead. But, you know, the um, DC Comics, who was part of Warner Brothers, who owns the rights to the characters, they came out with a comic book based on our 66 Batman. You know what I mean? They call it, you know, Batman 66. It was drawn to look just like me and just drawn to look like Adam. There's a whole series of Batman 66 merchandise with our pictures on it. I saw a one-armed bandit, like 11 feet tall, that had four bigger-than-life photos of Adam and I on that in the casinos. And then there is a an amazing pinball machine that Adam and I each did 300 separate voices, character voices, you know, holy this or holy that for the pinball machine, Stern Pinball. And uh, in fact, I bought one of those uh, for my wife. They were so nice about it. I asked if I could get a special recorded message just on my machine for my wife, Tracy. You know, it was really pretty cool that, that they did that for me. And I gave that to her as a gift. So, you know, we've had some really spectacular things and there's so much batman merchandise it's still incredibly popular in fact i don't know if you know this but the highest selling licensed merchandise in the entire world is batman more than star wars more than superman more than lord of the rings more than harry potter more than anything batman has always been the number one selling 
merchandise. Of course, the Batmobile is by far the most most famous car in history. I believe it. I have an Archie Batman 66 comic book. It's sort of a, it's a mashup. It's an Archie comic book and Batman 66 is part of it. My daughter, my youngest daughter, was they filmed uh, Batman v Superman in Detroit, and she was in. I don't know if you if you saw, but there was um there's a scene where Superman's in the Day of the Dead, and my daughter's in that scene. Right. And so my wife was on set with my daughter, and, and she was all excited because she got they had the even though the Batmobile wasn't in the scene, it was there, and she's like, I touched the Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Now, granted, it's not the Batman 66 Batmobile, but it was still, you know, you got to take what you can get, Bert. You got to take what you can get. Oh, absolutely. And oh, I mean, the the Batmobile, I mean, the original one, we actually, they had made three because they were so worried that if something broke down, they they just can't have that in, in production. So there was three of them. But the original and the main one was auctioned off by George Barris for, um, I think it was uh, three, was it 3.6 million or something like that. It was, you know, more than $3 million. Wow. And it wasn't even finished on the inside. I mean, in other words, because of all the cameras and the lights that had to be inside, I mean, the dashboard was finished, but you didn't have rugs or anything in it. It was kind of plain because they would, they had their lights that they screwed down to the floorboards. I mean, it was, it was terrific making that show. It was a lot of fun. So what, what was Burgess Meredith like? Because he's like, he's, he was like in it, I think, well, between him and Cesar Romero, they were in the most episodes as, as the Penguin and, and the Joker. He loved it. Is it true that they had scripts just ready to go in case he was in town? That I don't know, because I wasn't privy to the producers where stuff went on. But I tell you, working with both of them, incredibly professional. I mean, just, it, it was an honor to work with both he and Cesar Romero. I mean, they were just the consummate professional, period. I know, for your first job. You got to, I mean, like to go, oh, who have you worked with, Bert? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I was very fortunate. That's why I told you I was like the kid in the candy store. Everything looked fantastic to me. How do you spend your time these days? My wife and I, we really have a great time. We work together every day. We have fun and I have two children and I love them very much. And people ask me, well, what's it like to have 15,500 canine kids? And I say, well, you know, let me tell you something. I love my daughters very much, my human daughters, but it also speaking about these dogs out of 15,500, not one of them ever asked me to buy them a car. <laughs> it's been great with the animals. And it's, it's like, we kind of live this, this life that we do and, and we have fun every day and everything we do, we try to do positive, Jeff, you know, there's a famous saying, live each day as though it were your last and someday you'll be right. We, we have, you know, very positive things and, in fact, we try to exude the positive to people. In fact, I want to tell you that I had heard something very profound where they said, someone said, do you know what the three essentials to happiness are? I said, no, what are they? And here's what I was told. The three essentials to happiness, someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And if you have that, you really can have happiness. And, and I, I wish that for everybody. Everything my wife and I do every single day, we try to do a little bit better today than what happened yesterday and make things a little bit better every single day. When you told me the story about giving your wife the pinball machine, Tracy, and my first reaction was, Tracy must be an angel and love you so much. If I gave my wife something, here's something to do when I'm not around and it was my voice. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, uh, and it's funny. I, you know what I tell people? Because I'm very high energy, obviously. My wife is higher energy than I am. 
if, if that's such a possible thing. And I tell people, you know, it's a good thing you talk to me first before talking to my wife, Tracy, because otherwise you would think I was mute, that I couldn't talk because she can out talk me. She's got, and it's so funny here, two of us are always fighting, not really fighting, but, you know, fighting to get the last word in one of us. Well, yes, but this, what about that? And in fact, if you'd like, I can play you that message on my pinball machine. If you'd like to hear it for your, for your listeners. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, Hold on one second. And uh, I'll I'll see if I can play for us. Here we go. For my darling Tracy, this is your husband, Bert, who loves you very much. And this pinball game is for you. Were you able to hear it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. Thank you so much for that. I um I did have one other question. I had another question, if you don't sure. mind. Legends of the Superheroes. Yes. Those are the, the 1979 two specials that you did. Um, you, Adam West, and Frank Gorshin came back. Talk to me a little bit about those. <laughs> those are like cult classics. They were kind of their own style because they had all these other villains that I didn't even know about. It was kind of fun. It had mixed ratings in terms of some people that are diehard Batman and Robin fans. Some of them didn't like it. Others thought it was kind of goofy. And it was fun to do, you know, and it was shown uh, broadcast nationally, both shows. uh, And, you know, actually since Batman and we did our first Batman movie, uh, even in the last few years, Adam and I, before he passed on, he and I did the voices for two full length Batman feature films uh, from Warner Brothers. The second one was Batman versus Two-Face. And in that one, Two-Face was played by, the voice was played by William Shatner, which is pretty cool because here you have actors from the two most iconic television shows in history, Batman and Star Trek working together. And Shatner was terrific. He's a, a pleasure to work with and always very nice to me. I would see him at these comic cons, we had a lot of fun and we, it, the shows came out great. And, and the, one of them was voted as the best superhero animated show of the year. Lots of people enjoyed it. What was it like being Robin on the Simpsons? Well, that was fun. The, the show was, uh, I think that show was called large Marge. It was great doing that. Something else that came on that was aired on the Simpsons, his wife comes in and they've got this baby baby thing, you know, it's called Baby on Board. I don't know if you've seen this thing. And so he sits down at the piano and he starts playing Baby on Board, dot, dot, Burt Ward. And it, that was part of one of their shows. But I mean, it was, it was separate of the large margin when we did. But I was also on other shows, you know, like Futurama. Adam and I did voices on that. And then um, we did some other animated shows that we did some wild and crazy stuff uh, on that was on uh, on Adult Swim. Sure, sure. One on Adult Swim was pretty adult. And there's a funny story that goes with it. When I first saw the script, I mean, it had Robin using language that Robin wouldn't use. And my wife, Tracy, says, Bert, you better not do this because Warner Brothers are going to be really upset. You're, you know, denigrating their character. I said, Tracy, they Warner Brothers sanctioned this. Warner Brothers people said they have the rights to do it. So Tracy, I don't think you should do it. So there was a holdup of me doing this voiceover animated show because my wife Tracy thought that Warner Brothers would be very upset. So the agent representing us went back to Warner Brothers and says, you know, I, I don't think Bert's going to be able to do it because you know his wife is very worried that 
DC Comics and Warner Brothers going to be very upset if he says those lines. So they first they changed the lines, and then Tracy came back and says, "Well, I don't even believe that they have the you know the rights to do that." The long and short of it is that it took a vice president of Warner Brothers to write a letter to my wife saying it is okay for Burt Ward to do it. We approve that. And then, then of course, she gave in, and I did the show. Tracy obviously has not seen Titans. No, we all, well, we know about it though. We know about it. That's the whole. <laughs> Tracy, that's not me doing it. No, no, I know. I'm just saying, like in terms of uh, language coming out of uh, Dick Grayson character's mouth. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that, you know, and I'm I'm not so sure that's such a great thing because it's nothing uplifting about some of this coarse dialogue. It's not necessary. Great or good acting doesn't require you to use foul language to convey what you want to say. So that's just my opinion. But uh, on Batman, we made our show for all ages, you know, the littlest kids to seniors to teenagers and college kids. And it was wholesome. It was wholesome. It's the kind of thing that anybody could look at and enjoy. To that extent, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, it is. And it, it, it's, it's still fun even to today. It's it's funny as I was kind of redoing it, you know, as a kid watching it and, you know, just syndication, you know, they don't play them in order. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe the ones that go together. But like, I didn't realize that Batgirl was only in the third season till I like. That's right. Till I sat down and really kind of looked at it chronologically. No, nope, you're right. That was the third season. And, and you know, um, Yvonne Craig, incredibly sweet lady and a lot of fun to work with. And she uh, she wrote kind of a, a forward in my book, Boy Wonder, My Life in Tights who the editor, by the way, was Stanley Ralph Ross, who wrote 32 episodes of Batman and probably one of the funniest men I've ever met in my life. Great sense of humor. He created Wonder Woman, and, but he also wrote all of, all of the Catwoman shows of Batman. What was it like? Was it a kind of a thrill to do the Crisis on Infinite Earths? That was kind of a cool thing that they did with all those DC shows. Yes. And what was nice about that is that they put it right in front of the main titles of Supergirl. They did that. And I enjoyed doing that. And so many people were like, you just wouldn't believe it. It got all of this stuff on the internet. You could do a search about me at that time. And you said Burt Ward. And there was something like 34 internet pages that were every single comment was about me doing Supergirl, wondering if I was going to play Robin if I was Dick Grayson and I, you know, it was just so much thought about it. It was, it was cool. Yeah. It was, it was really neat how they, the CW shows, while they're not uh, the campy fun of the Batman 66, right. but they are more in line with like, I watched Supergirl with my girls. Right. I could not watch Titans with my no. kids. What happened to the original Robin costume? I had one costume that I donated to charity and uh, it raised like $500,000 for charity. So it was a, you know, it was a gift that I made and I just thought it was a nice thing to do. That is a really nice thing to do. Other other than kind of uh, the Batman type roles, what what's the favorite, your favorite? Well, I, I did 40, 40 films for television that I actually uh, either co-starred or starred in. The way I look at it is this, because some people say, well, you know, but what it's like, you know, wouldn't it have been great if you could have a, another big project like that. And, I, and I, the way I look at it is this. It's like a glass that is full. You can have it full with a whole bunch of different projects, or you could have it full with one main project and a bunch of smaller ones. The, the glass is still full. The life is complete. And that's the way I look at what I did on that. That's awesome. That's great. And it's nice in this conversation how passionate you still are about it and love talking about it and reflecting on it. It's it's so 
it's such a special thing to so many people. And when someone like myself gets to to meet and talk with someone like you and and it's special to you too, it means a lot to, you know, to us, the fans. It really does. So thank you for that. Bird, this was so much fun. You're amazing. You really are. This has been a real joy. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it. And, you know, I can't always get out and meet all the, the listeners and the, the people that enjoyed our show, but I do wish everyone well. And my wife and I, we, we try to do our best every day to make a better world for all of us to live in because we're all on this planet, Jeff, only a very short time. It's important that we do the best that we can. Well, it's, you have an inspiring story. You and Tracy have done amazing things. And just everyone, please go to gentlegiantsdogfood.com. Thank you very much for making a better world and just all the positive that you brought into it. I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. This has been a real pleasure. Holy hole in a donut, Batman. How amazing was Burt Ward? Oh, he's so amazing. I It was such a pleasure to be able to talk to Burt for my 50th episode, watching the Batman series growing up was so special. I loved it so much. So to be able to talk to Bert, to talk to one of the heroes from Batman, and to find out what a hero Bert is today, saving so many dogs, over 15,000 dogs. It's amazing. And the dog food and cat food that he's created to help our pets be healthier and live longer. Incredible. Just incredible. Please check out his website. Show him some love. Check out everything he's doing with his wife. It's absolutely incredible. I know it was a long interview, but I it was it was such a pleasure to talk to and I wanted to share the whole thing with you. So I hope you enjoyed it. And here we are getting close to the end of the 50th episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin show. But you know what that means? That means it's time to read a trending hashtag from the family of hashtag roundup games. That's right, hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup and download the free hashtag roundup app on the Apple Store or Google google play totally free and you can play along with our hashtag games one day one of your tweets may show up on an episode of live from detroit the jeff dewaskin show this week's hashtag is from feel good tags it's a weekly game on hashtag roundup and in honor of burt ward's amazing dog food which helps our pets live longer we're gonna play hashtag things to blame the dog for that's right and for the dogs to be around longer that gives us more opportunities to pass the buck all right as always, every tweet I read will be retweeted at Jeff Dewaskin Show and will be in the show notes. Retweet them. Show them some love. All right. You guys ready? Here we go. Hashtag things to blame the dog for. Not lowering the toilet seat. Every time my wife yells at me, I always blame it on the dog. Here's another things to blame the dog for. Bad tweets. <laughs> That's a good strategy. Oh, you didn't like that tweet? My dog must have grabbed my phone. And here's a classic things to blame the dog for. Eating my homework. You knew it was coming. It's a classic. Barking up the wrong tree. That's the thing with dogs. They never know which tree to bark up. Here's another hashtag things to blame the dog for. Not texting back and that massive phone bill. You can't blame the dogs. They don't understand the concept of uh, limited data plans. Brexit. So many people blaming dogs for Brexit. It's a, it's a shame. And here's another one. Drinking the last beer, not buying more. Well, that's just your fault for letting the dog learn how to open the refrigerator. Global warming. That may be uh, your fault, buddy. I, what are you feeding that dog? And the final. Hashtag things to blame the dog for. 
how bad the movie Cats was. Oh, all right. Those were hashtag things to blame the dog for. Find them all retweeted at Jeff DeWaskin Show. Again, play along on hashtag roundup. And one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. Ugh. Can't believe the episode's almost over. I'm actually going to head back to that party. I'm going to invite you to come with me. I think there was a few more people that wanted to say hello. So let's get back to the party. I see the party's still going on. Oh, hey. Hey, Jeff. Congratulations from your old pal, Jack. Heard you hit 50 episodes. Really big deal. Way to go, man. Oh, I'm honored. Oh, hey. Everyone, get to the chopper. Quick, it's Jeff's 50th episode. The Life from Detroit show. It's very funny. You have to listen to it. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm very happy for you. Very excited for Jeffrey hitting his 50th episode. Congratulations. Way to go. It's not a tumor. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming by. Oh, hey. Oh, uh, hey, uh, Jeff. Way to go ahead uh, with your 50th episode. That's, that's pretty cool. It's pretty great. Yeah, way to go. I uh, hope you uh, make this a big deal. And I uh, hope you make sure to name drop as much as possible, right? It's an inside joke. It's an inside joke. You know, way to go. Seriously, though. 50 episodes is an achievement. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, my gosh, look. It's Christian Bale Batman. Jeff, it's me, the Dark Knight. And I have to tell you what you've done with 50 episodes of your podcast deserves as much celebration as the crime fighting I do in Gotham every day. Well, that is some high praise. Thank you. And thank all of you for tuning in week after week, 50 episodes. Can't believe it. We're here. Thanks again to my guest, Burt Ward, for stopping by. And we'll see you all next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Who spilled the wine on the rug? Who spilled it? I just need to know who. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.